You are listening to the Impact Church Podcast. To learn more about Impact Church, visit us online at impactharlem.org. You can also check us out on social media. All right, good morning. How are y'all doing this morning? Good, got some thumbs up, got some responses. One more time, how are y'all doing this morning? Woo, awesome. Hey, I'm excited to preach this morning. Uh, today is special for me. Um, out of all the times that I've preached, this is the first time I've been able to secure a haircut the week going into. Awesome. So usually I'm up here with this like mop top, but I went and saw April this week and she got me looking clean. So I get to preach while looking looking all right. So, um, But now today we're going to wrap up our series through the book of Ruth. And uh, we've been going through the series. Dustin has just done an amazing job just walking us through this, this love story, right? So we see this, this family move to Moab, and we see that uh, Naomi is the original, like, main, main person in the story and that we talk about. And then uh, her sons, they marry two Moabite women, uh, which is kind of strange for, some, uh, for a family from Judah. And then um, they get married. Then all eight husbands die. All the husbands die. Everyone's a widow now. And then uh, Naomi gives an out to, uh, to her daughters-in-law. That's Orpah and Ruth, who the book is named after Ruth. And uh, Ruth says, you know what? I'm going to stick around. Uh, you're my family now. I'm going to stick around. I'm going to stay here. And I am going to go with you back home. I'm going to go to a foreign land. I'm going to go with you back home to Judah. And they run into... Um, into Boaz by picking the fringes of his fields, which we learned a lot about what that means. And uh, Boaz happens to be a redeemer. So essentially, he has first claim in Naomi's family because they are kin uh, to, um, to a widow, right? So he has, uh, not first claim, he actually had second claim. We learned that, and we learned that there was a, a redeemer there before. And then we learned that Boaz was second redeemer. All worked out. Boaz and Ruth fell in love, got married, had a kid. It's been a really, really cool adventure. Pretty much end of the story, right? Like pretty much end of the story. At the end, you get, uh, they, they fall in love, they get married, they have a kid. Boom, Disney writer's dream, right? So, but that's not the end. That's not the end of the book. There's more to the book. And uh, so each year, uh, towards the end of the year, the pastors here at Impact, we get together and we kind of just pray through and talk through what are we going to preach from the pulpit for the next year, for the next uh, year? So like, we'll get together probably October, November to start talking through everything for 2024. And uh, then we just pray over some things. We talk about some things that, are, that our folks are going through, that we know has happened in the church, some basic principles that we know we need to nail down and hit, and some things that we want to make cohesive with like small groups and such. Uh, and then Dustin will take all of that. He'll pray over it, get to work on it, do some research, and then... At the end of the year, towards the end of the year, he'll present us with like a whole teaching schedule for the next year. So I got my teaching schedule. How it usually works for me is like I'll see that I'm preaching four or five times a year. Uh, and I'll look at the dates. Be like, all right, I got this date, got this date, got this date. I'm preaching out this book and preaching out Song of Solomon, preaching out Ruth, whatever the case is. Like I'll see where I'm preaching. I'm like, all right. And then about three weeks ahead of time, I don't want to prep too early because then I'll just forget everything and it'll just be a hot mess. I don't want to prep too late because then it'll be a hot mess because I'm unprepared. So about three weeks early, I'll take a look at it. Then I'll start really digging in about a week and a half ahead of time. So about three weeks ago, I looked at the passage that I'm scheduled to preach this week. And uh, I just want to read it. We're, gonna, we're just going to go ahead and just jump right in. And I'm going to see if you guys 
uh, feel the same way that, that I felt once I read this. So, Ruth 4, verses 18 through 22. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amenadab. Amenadab fathered Nishan. Nishan fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. This joker gave me a genealogy to preach. He said, here's a genealogy, and I want you to walk through the genealogy. So I'm looking at this, I'm like, okay, well, it's a genealogy. How do I, how do I make this relevant? How do you make genealogies relevant? Everything in the Bible is, is good for teaching, right? We, we know that that's true. So how do, we, how do we look at this, and we read these generations, and we, we figure out how we can take this, soak it, and apply it to our life? And before I start thinking like, all right, well, our sermon, uh, our, like our, our whole series title, AJ, if you'll bring up our series title slide, it says Ruth. I'm like, okay, we're in the book of Ruth. Cool. Then it says God's sovereignty and our uncertainty. I'm like, well, I'm uncertain about what I'm going to preach here. So, but I understand that God has something for us. I'm going to dig a little bit deeper. And then I start digging a little bit deeper, and there's a word in it. And this word stood out finally. And I was like, you know what? That's it. Boom. That's it. And every once in a while when we're studying the Bible, there are key words that really make us, like, just tune in a little bit more, right? We've learned about some of those. We learned that if you see the word but, you got to understand that there's, there's a reason that word's there. So go ahead, go back a little bit and figure out why that, that word but is there. And when but God is in, you know something awesome is about to be in store. Hey, figure out what the problem was, right? So when you're studying, then you see the word therefore, right? What is therefore Therefore, you go back and you figure out why is therefore there. So you got to figure out what the situation was and then what's happening here. So here, same thing in the book of Ruth. What's the first word of the passage? The first word is now. Now. And that's how I'm going to preach a genealogy. Now. Because the truth of the matter is now changes everything. The word now changes everything because the author of the story is now saying, hey, I told you this awesome story. I told you this beautiful love story about this man and this widow and how they fell in love and how they started a family. But I told you all that to tell you this and to tell you that Perez fathered Hezron and Hezron fathered Ram, Ram, Aminadab, Aminadab, Nishan, Nishan, Salmon, Salmon, Boaz, Boaz, Obed. Obed, Jesse, and Jesse, Father David. And I'm going to pick up right there in the book of Matthew. Three to Matthew 3 to verse uh, 6 levels off exactly right there. It says, And Jesse, father of David, the king. I'm sure many of you know, if you don't, David's a pretty, pretty key stories, a linchpin in the story that is the story of God and that is the gospel. David is key. And you keep going further. David was the father of Solomon by the wife, Uriah. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really mess up some of these. Just give me some grace here. Um, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Uh, the father of Asaph, Asaph, uh, Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, Joram, Joram, Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, 
Hezekiah, Manasseh, Manasseh, Amos. By the way, Amos is a very, very cool name. I wanted to name Abram Amos, but Sally said no. Just want to put that out there. Amos is an awesome name. Uh, he's the father of Josiah. Josiah, Jeconiah, um, at the time of the deportation to Babylon, and after that, uh, Jeconiah was the father of Shetiel, Shetiel, uh, Shetiel, Zerubbabel. I know this is a lot. Stay with me here. Uh, Zerubbabel, Abuad, Abuad, Elakim, Elakim, Azor, Azor, Zaduk, Zaduk, Akim, Akim, the father of Eluid, Eluid, um, Eli, yeah, Eleazar, Eleazar, Mathen, Mathen, Jacob, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born. What did what did Dustin say, Pastor Dustin say, when he welcomed us all this morning? It all points to Jesus, right? Everything that we do is about Jesus. And we go through this whole book of just things having to work out, and we see the signs of God's sovereignty just in the details of the life of, of Ruth, right? That she had to be there just in the right time for Boaz to see her and, and catch eyes and, and them to start a relationship. And she had to she came from a completely different country, and it goes from time to time, and little details by little details by little details, we see God's sovereignty start working together and, and put together this beautiful mosaic that leads to the ultimate rescue plan. We learned that, what did we learn? Boaz is a what? He's a redeemer in Naomi's family and Ruth's family, and through God's sovereignty, this redeemer leads to the Redeemer, the perfect Redeemer, our Savior, Christ Jesus. So we see that God works through generation to generation. And that's actually, if I went back and I looked at the, the whole teaching schedule, the title that was given for this week was posterity. And I don't know if you know what that word means. Does anyone know what posterity means when they hear that word? All right, cool. Janine does. Um, that's it. Like, I, I didn't know. I had to look it up, too. And essentially, it means all future generations. Boom. All future generations. Where does this all lead? And it leads to the Savior. It leads to Jesus. So that's what we're going we're gonna to lock in here. And we're going we're gonna to learn about how we can take God's sovereignty and take that now. What's up? Now what's, what's next? Why is this all happening? And we're going to see if we can figure that out and apply it to our lives. So let's pray. And then we're going to jump into our points. God, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you that, that even genealogies, where it's just names following names, Lord, that you're in the, the details of every single one of those. And that you work through those situations, no matter what those situations look like. You can work through those to tell the story of redemption and hope and of your holiness. So, Lord, as I, as I preach this morning, use my voice, use my mouth as a, as a catapult for your gospel. And, Lord, I pray that, that hearts would be changed and we'd be drawn closer to you because we can trust in your sovereignty over our situations. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, our first point, God is sovereign over our circumstance. So we've talked about this a lot uh, throughout the series but certain things had to happen, and kind of weird things uh, sometimes had to happen throughout the book of Ruth for 
uh, this all to work out and for the outcome of that genealogy we just read to happen, right? For Boaz and Ruth to end up together. So some things that may have seemed like dumb luck, but they weren't even really dumb luck. So we have a Jewish man and a Moabite woman. Um, uh, they move to Moab, or we, we see a Jewish family. They moved to Moab, um, and the sons marry Moabite women. Like, that's kind of out of the norm, right? They're, they're intermarrying is what's happening, is what they would have been accused of in that culture. So uh, that's, not, that's not normal. So then uh, all the husbands die, right? All the husbands die, and we got a bunch of widows who are heading back uh, to, to Judah. And this is also out of the norm. Like, Naomi says, hey, ladies, you guys can, you guys can go back to your uh, mother's homes. You don't have to follow me. And Orpah says, all right, deuces, I'm out. Good to know you, right? She says, I'm out of here. Uh, Ruth says, let's rock and roll. Like, I'm staying committed to, um, to my uh, covenant that I made with your son. You are my family now. Your God will be my God. I will follow you. And so they head back and uh, just happens. So it would have been easy. Let me put this out there. It would have been easy for Ruth to say, yeah, I'm going to take that out. I'm going to go back home. I'm going to just kind of start over here, uh, marry a Moabite man, like just have some kids here, just raise my family and what I've always known my entire life. It would have been easy to take that route. But sometimes, a lot of times, God works through the difficult seasons and circumstances. Amen? So she goes on. She goes to a, a whole new land. She stays committed to, to her uh, covenant that she made with her husband. She stays committed to her mother-in-law. They go and they're picking on the field, so this is a difficult situation. It's never easy to be a widow, especially not easy to be a widow in that time in uh, that time frame in history. So they go, they're picking on the fringes of Boaz's property, and Boaz, right at the right time, right, just right at the right time, Boaz comes walking through or, or riding through the fields, and he sees uh, he sees Ruth, and he's like, "Oh, who is this lady?" And so they do some talking, and. She catches his eye. He catches her eye. They do some talking. She, like, goes to a party and lays down at his feet after he's asleep, which we talked about that. And that's really weird to me personally because I have a thing with feet. Um, my whole, like, creative team will understand, like, you're not allowed to wear open toe shoes on this stage. Um, it's just it's it's a toes thing. Like, I, they're, they're distracting. I went to see a pastor preach one time. And he was preaching in flip-flops, and he was a toe wiggler. And I don't know what he preached on, so no one on this stage is allowed to have open-toe shoes. Uh, I know Kyle drums without shoes on sometimes. That's just how he feels it. You probably are going to look for that now, and I apologize. But, uh, like, it's toes, feet, it's weird. She lays at his feet. Like, and he's, so he's asleep. He's knocked out. He's probably, like, heavy asleep, too, because we talked about, like, his partying. Um, we understand he probably had a little too much alcohol in the system. He goes and he sleeps on his grain. Like, he sleeps on what he has, you know, gathered up and what makes him rich, right? Pastor Dustin talked about it was like, you know, becoming a, a billionaire and then just like going and laying on, falling asleep on piles of cash. It's kind of like what he did. So he's in there laying down and, uh, and she goes and she just lays at his feet while he's knocked out. Super weird. Um, so, but... God works in these details. And then we find out that, uh, that Boaz is a redeemer, but he's not the first redeemer. She's like, go talk to the first redeemer. The first redeemer says, no, you can have her um, and her mother-in-law. And then 
they get married, they have a son, also kind of weird because you go back and you look at, they talk about, uh, earlier in the passage talks about they were in Moab for 10 years. So I don't know when exactly they got married in this time frame, uh, her first husband and her, but they didn't have an extended period of time together. They didn't have any children. So we understand that a lot of this is really difficult and has to work exactly in order. If they if one thing doesn't happen, the next thing can't. And we see that God is sovereign over those things, and he makes those things work one by one by one. And we can take that, and we can look at our circumstances in life, and we can say, this is, this is rough. But maybe in 10 years, I'm going to look back, and I'm going to say, you know, that made a lot of sense. So let me take you back to 2011 with me. So I uh, felt called to ministry and took a job, took a position on staff at a church in Jacksonville. Uh, loved it. Absolutely loved it. Moved to Jacksonville. Going there in a couple weeks to visit some friends from this church. Um, we'll go to this church. Uh, absolutely loved my time down there. It was spent five years. It was beautiful. We made great friendships. It lasted. Um, but about three and a half years in, I knew that time was up. I look back on that now, and while I look back on that and I experienced some awesome things and just learned a lot and grew a lot, and when you grow, there's always a little resistance. So we, we, I look back on that, and I'm like, what was the season? I can define that season now as understanding how to marry grace and truth. Because I headed in to that season with a lot of grace, right, or with a lot of truth, but I wasn't necessarily the most gracious person in the world, and I learned how to meet people where they're at and to, to help walk them back up with grace and with love, and that's, that's that season, and I loved it, and I look back on it with, very fondly. So about three and a half years in, I, I knew that time was up there, that it was time for us to move on, and we started looking around uh, at other churches, and um, we, we interviewed for a church near Tampa. Uh, we interviewed at a church in Athens. We drove into Athens, and as soon as we drove into Athens, like nothing was Athens, but just knew that that wasn't where we were called to be. Uh, we There's some things with the church in Tampa that, that we took our names out of the hat for that one as well. Uh, and then I got a, a, a Facebook message from a friend, from a pastor here in town, a worship pastor here in town, and uh, said, hey, this is someone that's looking for a worship leader. They're starting a church in Grovetown. Um he just wants to know if anyone, if anyone knows anyone that might be willing. So I like, I was like, all right, well, I might know someone down here that might be willing to go up. Uh, I was like, the CSRA was not on our radar. We were not coming back. Like, we were not coming back to the Augusta area. We just, we enjoyed uh, living in a city. We enjoyed uh, being down in Jacksonville, and we kind of wanted the same kind of feel wherever we ended up, and Athens was really the closest we wanted to get, and we knew it wasn't the place either. So we ended up, uh, I ended up talking to the pastor and said, yeah, you know, I know a few people down there or up there uh, that might be willing to take it, and we just kind of started talking about church, talking about church, talking about church, and as God just kind of worked through the conversation and the things that we were talking about, I was like, you know, maybe this is the move I'm supposed to make. Like, why am I closing this door? Because it's, it's the CSRA, like, why am I closing the door? So I said, you know what? I think I might be interested in this. That wasn't my intent for this phone call, but I think I might be interested in this. Uh, they came down, met us. We talked through. Literally, like, Sally and I prepped, like, a sheet of, or it was like notes in our iPhone. 
but like prepped a whole bunch of questions that we were going to ask. Um, this question, this question, this question. How would you handle this situation? How would you run this situation? So forth, so forth, so forth. Everything they answered like exactly how we wanted, um, how we would have wanted them to answer. Like it, we, it lined up just thread for thread perfectly. And uh, so we walked away and we were like, you know, we'll pray about it. We walked away and we were like, we don't have a reason to say no other than we just don't want to go back to Augusta. And uh, that's not, um, it's not a good enough reason. Like I can't go before God one day and say, yeah, I didn't go there because Augusta. Like, you know, um, and, uh, and listen, let me just put this out there. It's not that I hate Augusta. I love Augusta. I love this area. I just liked living elsewhere. I liked the city of Jacksonville. And I liked the experience and the uh, culture and atmosphere down there. Um, but so we end up coming to plant that church. And we plant that church. And we're like, uh, and we get here. I'm like, we're like, Grovetown, Grovetown. Yeah, we're going to commit to Grovetown. We like do everything we can in Grovetown. And uh, God just sends like a flux of of Harlem people to that church. And like, we're like, yeah, we'll probably get a couple Harlem people. Um, he sends just this, this huge rush of Harlem people. So we're like, all right, well, let's go to Harlem. So we ended up moving to Harlem. And, uh, and here, when we moved to Harlem, there was a transition that we needed to make because we were doing a, a ministry called the Good News Club. And that is like a Bible study that's done in elementary schools. And we were doing that at Grovetown Elementary. And uh, we were like, well, if we're going to serve the city of Harlem, we should maybe do that at Harlem. And that's when my pastor was like, well, there's a church that's going to be planting there in a little while named Impact. Uh, they're going to be at the school. Let's see if we can get them involved. So the first time I ever knew anything about Impact was after we'd moved to Harlem. And he says, hey, when we do this, like, let's get together with the pastor there and, uh, and see if they want to be a part of this Good News Club. So we went and we met Monte Libos uh, and Dustin was there. First time I met Dustin. Uh, later on, we invited Dustin to come check it out, uh, just kind of as their pre-planning process. Second time I met Dustin, he actually uh, left Alden in our kids' ministry, went to leave without him. So I'll always give him a hard time about that. But um, no, he came back for him, and he got him, so that's good. Or maybe Ross or Elena did. I'm not sure who it was that came and got him. But so those are the first times I ever met Dustin. We, we exchanged numbers, I think, at the, at the time where we were talking about Good News Club. Uh, Dustin never pursued me for impact, but God, but God, didn't intend that, but that's the, the but God, but God had it in his plans because God started giving me this, this holy uneasiness that you're supposed to go to impact. You're supposed to go to impact. Your time here is done. You're supposed to go to impact. You're supposed to go to impact. And I'm like, no. I like want to be like Orpa. Want to be like I'm. I'm comfortable in this country at this church. I have good relationships. Like this is great. I don't want to go to a new season. Like and I fought it for like months, for a couple months, and finally I was like, you know what? I'm gonna surrender to this. And I look back, and I ended up calling Dustin and say, hey man, can you meet me? We met in my office at at work, and I just told him like, hey. Um, Feel called to impact. He's like, that's awesome. We already hired a worship leader. I was like, that's cool. Like, uh, like worship pastor. Like, I could take a more pastoral line, and we can. So we talked it through. Uh, we prayed about it. Went through the whole process, and saw that that God was in it. So we made that move, and it made no sense. And I knew it was it was God working piece by piece by piece. And in the moment, it may not have made the most sense, but 
looking back and knowing that three and a half years at my church in Jacksonville, I knew it was time to go. Three and a half years at my church in Grovetown slash Harlem, I didn't want to go, but I knew God was calling me to go. And now we're three and a half years into impact, and I don't have no desire to to see anything else. Like, I know I'm where God has called me to be. God has led moment by moment in that whole process of me being in ministry for me to be up here and be here at impact with us. I've seen God's sovereignty. I've looked back on those situations and known that normally worship pastors don't tag along to meetings about injecting a a school ministry into a into a school. Normally worship pastors aren't in on those meetings. That's usually like a lead pastor in that size of a church or maybe an outreach pastor or something or a children's pastor. Worship pastors aren't involved. I was there for that meeting and I met Dustin there. And again, he didn't pursue me putting that out, but God pursued that so hard and his sovereignty worked out situation by situation. God is sovereign over our circumstance and I'm sure there are circumstances you may be going through that you don't understand what is going on, what is happening. But God is working through those circumstances. Have you ever, uh, have you ever gone to leave for work? And maybe you can't find your phone or your keys or something, and you're really frustrated, right? And you're just getting really, really mad. And then you get going down the road, and you see a car accident. Traffic starts slowing down. You see a car accident. It looks fresh. Like, it just happened recently. And you thought, man, if I would have got my keys on time, I could have been in the middle of the road. Or maybe you're stuck. If you're like me, like, maybe you get really annoyed and you're stuck behind, like, a super slow driver. And uh, you're just ready to go. But they're, you know, you got double lines. They're driving slow, you know, 10 miles on the speed limit. And then finally, they turn off. And you get going. And a deer crosses in front of you. Like, man, there's just a second more. Like, if I would have got around them just a second quicker. I was so frustrated with them, but God knew that deer was going to cross the road. Like, you see these things work out in the, and the sovereignty of God over situation by situation. And you see that God works and is sovereign over our circumstance. Our second point is God is sovereign from generation to generation. So if it's, if it's important for us to understand that if we're talking about posterity, that he's not only sovereign in our momentary circumstance, but the flow of seasons of time and generations and generations. He was sovereign over time before time began. He will be sovereign forever. He's the King of kings, Lord of lords, forever and ever, right? He is sovereign from generation to generation. And the cool thing is he can use some of the biggest screw-ups ever to tell the coolest stories. We go back and we look at Perez. This whole passage starts with, now, these are the generations of Perez. Well, who is Perez, right? Perez, we don't know a whole lot about him other than he is the son of Judah who fathered him from Tamar. Who knows the Judah and Tamar story? Does anyone know that? A couple folks. The Judah and Tamar story, in a nutshell, is essentially Tamar was Judah's uh, daughter-in-law. Okay, it's getting weird, right? It's getting real Alabama here. Um, so, so... Tamar, Judah's daughter, or daughter-in-law, uh, she veiled herself and dressed herself like a prostitute and went and met Judah. And Judah knew full well what he was doing, so he's a screw-up, too, in this situation. Uh, she knew what she was doing. She had a plan, and he knew what he was doing when he thought he was buying a lady of the night. And he 
even offered her a goat. Like, that's how they paid then, I guess. I don't know. But that's what happened. He's like, you can have a little goat. And uh, so that is a really weird circumstance that is in the link. That's a link in the chain of God's redemption story that leads us to Jesus. You think about King David. What do we say in, in Matthew where it says uh, David, uh, let's see, David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. We know that. David seeing Bathsheba one night and saying, I want her, an adulterous relationship. He essentially steals this man, man's wife, sends him to war, front lines to die. We see a, an adulterer and a murderer, and God redeems this mess. And it is a link in the chain of God's story that leads us to the ultimate redeemer. Now, what I want us to understand is that God is sovereign over our circumstance. He's sovereign over generation to generation. And it doesn't matter what y'all have done, what I have done. The cool thing is, is God's story has one author, but many storytellers. And each storyteller is a child of God. And we are called as Christians to tell the story of God, to, to share the gospel. And we have a link in that chain. We have a, a chapter in God's story. And what are we doing with that chapter? What are we doing? Are we, are we going out there? Are we knowing the love of God? Are we growing in that love? And are we showing that love, or love to the world? Are we engulfing ourselves with the gospel? See, God's working in it. And he can use anything that happens but are we working towards sharing the gospel and being part of that generation to generation? And I think it's very cool for us to understand that we have a link in the chain of God's story. Then finally, as we close this up, our last point this morning is it is all about Jesus. This goes back to what Dustin said when he was welcoming us. What I said early on, everything points to Jesus. Old Testament, every, everything points to his coming, his, his arrival on the scene, to that rescue plan, that mission to, to get to the cross and to approach the cross for our sake and to redeem and restore a right relationship between the creator and the creation. Everything in the New Testament points back to what he's done and what, how, he's, how he's moved and then on to his coming. Everything points and is about, points to and is about Jesus. So this morning, as we understand the sovereignty of God, that he came, that Jesus came, he died, he rose, and he ascended. And while Judah, Perez, Ruth, Boaz, David, Solomon, all of these folks get chains in the link, or links in the chain of God's story, I want us to understand that that we do too, that we're a part of that story, that we are entrusted with the gospel. We are entrusted with grace, the grace of the Savior. 
of a loving father who didn't want to see his creation falter and end. And he entrusts us with that to take that to the world. And understanding that he's sovereign over it, that no matter how hard we try, and when we mess up, when we screw up, like he can take that and he can gel it together and he can work it and make it a beautiful, beautiful piece of artwork. And that's what he's doing. That's what he's doing. In our study this morning with the creative team, our Devo this morning, uh, we talked about it's not about our um, ability, right? It's not about our ability. It's not about what we can do or what we can't do. It's about our availability. And God is sovereign over our circumstances. He's sovereign over generations. And he can move in our lives and make things happen. There was a story in this morning's study where it talked about a pastor who was like blaring like secular music on his way to preach his first sermon. And he talked about like he was completely unprepared. And he said he got there. He's like, you know what? Trust in God with this. And he said, God, just moved so much. He said, I've grown so much. I'm not prepping my heart with, uh, with this music anymore. But God was sovereign over that circumstance. He worked in that circumstance for his glory and for the good of those there as the word was given. Thank you for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast. For this and other messages, visit us online at impactharlem.org. In the meantime, you can subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it on iTunes, and share it with your friends on social media. Once again, thanks for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast.